Thank you, Danny Elfman, for the intro there, and shout out to Shirley Walker, who was a composer to a lot of the music on Batman the Animated Series, which is the television series we'll be discussing this month on The Rewatchers. You will be getting a little double intro, as this was a live recorded lecture and screening series that took place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at Moore College of Art and Design, Sundays in October 2017. Today we are discussing two Catwoman-centric episodes from Season 2 of Batman. Batman the Animated Series, airing in 1992, Cat Scratch Fever, written by Sean Catherine Derrick, directed by Boyd, Boyd Kirkland, and Tiger Tiger, written by Michael Reeves, and Randy Rogel, directed by Frank Poor. Uh, so yeah, let's get into, dive right into the discussion here, as we um, break apart the discussion into topics to dissect these episodes. Thank you for listening. No clapping because it actually sounds really pathetic on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. So please, no clapping. Can we snap? We can do jazz hands. Snapping? Snapping's cool. I can't really snap today because I'm wearing gloves. I'm cosplaying as Catwoman today. Catwoman And Catwoman's like our main focus. Yeah. Um, we just screened uh, Tiger Tiger and uh, Cat Scratch Fever. We're, we're discussing, uh, we do technical, and then we have some psychological highlights that we discuss per episode, and we talk about animation, voice acting, and costumes, and then we have duality, uh, mental illness, and feminism within an episode. Yes, we're, we're trying to go there with feminism um, with a wealthy white dude who fights crime. But, uh, and... Uh, Let's see, so those are the topics. The other add-on question that I will ask too before we get started is to get to know our roundtable people a little bit more um, is, God, somebody get that phone. <laughs> uh, the additional question that we'll ask to get to know everybody is who is your favorite villain? Um, and we'll, we'll do that. Uh, let me actually moderate here, I suck today. Um, anyway, so April, Hi. Oh, it's oh Poison Ivy. God. All right. Yes. Yes. Oh, no, I know you said no clapping, but I we got to clapping. Yeah. Yeah. Poison Ivy just walked in. Yes. Well, we will definitely have to get our picture together. Yes. Got two. Yes. Got some family um, towels. Um, so uh, April Aguilar did the uh, lecture today. It was a Catwoman-centric um, lecture, and we talked about feminism and the femme tale in... Um, uh, Batman the Animated Series uh, through Catwoman, and we also discussed Catwoman throughout the ages. April uh, has a background in American history, is her official BFA, but she also is a super uh, well-schooled, well genius-level knowledge. I'm always in awe of your television knowledge, um, and a huge, huge Batman the Animated Series fan, so we're really excited to have April with us today, and April, uh, who is your favorite villain on BTAS? Oh, that is such a hard one. Um, I did I'm warn with, you. I'm gonna go with Scarface because I, 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 okay. I, yeah, you know why? Because Scarface is such an interesting. I mean, because. This show also deals with a lot of like psychological components, mm -hmm. and I think he represents like one of the most relatable uh, psychological component in our everyday lives, where we can't say the things that we want to say, mm -hmm. so we kind of force them down, and he actually has to create something 
in order to be the person that he wants to be. And I think if we could all do that in some way, it would be amazing. Like, um, and it, you know, it's, it's an old school gangster kind of um, persona, uh -huh. which fits right in line with the pastiche that we see, that 30s pastiche in Batman and Animated Series. Great. So, okay. And also, uh, you very uh, well put in succinct uh, as well your, your thoughts on Two Face last week, which were like similar. So if you want to tune in to last week's episode uh, to hear April go on about Two-Face as well, uh, more in depth, you should do that. Um, okay, so then next to April we have uh, Jonathan McCabe, uh, who will be doing the lecture of the fourth week, which will be on Old, on old Wounds is the episode we're, we're screening. And uh, you'll be talking about television theory. And John has a background in writing. He teaches creative writing and, and also is a writer himself. Uh, I, you have, well, you had one that came out in a fanzine that's coming out, yep. but not yet. Not yet. Not, so, and you're into writing horror stories. I love horror stories. Yeah, which is like also my, my as a comic book writer myself, that's what I'm into as well. So John, um, what is your uh, favorite villain on BTS? So I, I'm actually going to cheat because I, I love David Warner. He's my favorite actor in the entire world. So it would be Raish, but I have a feeling somebody else is going to say Raish, so I'm not going to say Raish. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Raish could have more than one band. But like you said, yeah. I love horror, and I don't think that, you know, so before we started, we were talking about um, Sid and Morty, and, and I don't, Rick and Morty, excuse me. And I don't think that I'd ever heard the word Cronenberg used as a verb <laughs> before that show. And I think that the character who Cronenberg's Gotham City more than anyone else is Poison Ivy. She is a mix of sci-fi and horror, and all of her episodes yes. take mm -hmm. both of those elements and mix them so perfectly into these really messed up stories, but she's also very relatable. And I love her. Stories. She's my favorite. And you're not just saying that because Poison Ivy is no, here today. I, no, no, no. Um, but yeah, House and Garden. Ivy's oh my, that's like yeah. the best. That's so yeah. good. Mm -hmm. um, okay, well, thank you, John. Uh, and we'll go real quick to me. My name is Beth Heinley. I'm the moderator. Uh, I am a comic artist and also I cosplay. Today I'm cosplaying as Catwoman and I do performance art uh, where I get to, you know, show my little bit of my more so my exhibitionist side, and I make art objects as well, and I put together um, screenings and lecture series like this on television. And uh, my favorite villain, I would say, is Scarecrow, is my favorite. Because I just, I mean, I feel like no one really mentally messes with people to the extreme that he does. Maybe the Mad Hatter is actually really close to it, but every, like, like really just, um, hitting it home on the psychology of Batman and the um, brink of madness that the characters struggle with. I think the Scarecrow really brings that out in everyone. Um, also, out of the redesign of the animated characters from the, uh, into the, uh, well, I guess technically it's kind of like third, fourth season, but um, when they when they did the reboot, I actually think Scarecrow was like one of the best redesigns. Like, he was scary and whatever, well, he wasn't, he was like, a skinny little twerpy yeah. um, mad scientist. But in the 
like reboot, he is is like terrifying, like an actual actually like terrifies me as a villain. So Scare, uh, Scarecrow's my my fave villain. And um, so moving on, um, next we have Anne Cornell sitting next to me, and Anne is an award nominated geek. <laughs> Um, at the Philadelphia Geek Awards, uh, Anne was nominated for co-hosting a show called Not Nearly Nerdy Enough. If you're interested, tune in. Co-hosted with um, James Myers. And uh, the little Lois Lane side of Anne, uh, she is an editor for a newspaper. What is the newspaper? It's a suburban. Yeah, so I work with the uh, Times. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that's actually one of our sister papers, though. So oh, okay. I work in the uh, I work in the suburbs. We're pretty much all a chain of uh, papers. I'm currently the executive editor of the Reporter, but I work with a lot of the Montgomery Media Weekly. Oh, as okay, well, so. great. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, Anne lectured uh, opening lecture on psychology uh, last week and, and discussed Two Face and the Joker. Um, more so, more so two-faced focused, yes. I follow. And, uh, and so, I mean, who's your favorite villain then? Okay. Is it Two-Face? No, actually, this was kind of tough because I find the villains in the animated series so much more uh, entertaining than uh, maybe Batman himself. Mm -hmm. uh, the one where they all sit around with the poker game and talk about how they almost caught Batman. <laughs> almost got him. And yeah, I'll say Croc, who isn't one of my favorite villains, but I laughed probably way too hard at, at his story where he's just like, and I threw a rock at Batman. I don't know why that entertained me. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, but what? Spoiler, yeah. spoiler alert. Great. Yes. <laughs> Spoiler though, was that Croc though? That wasn't. That wasn't Croc. Yeah. yeah. Wait. I swear it was Croc when he was like, and then I threw a rock at it. He did yeah. say yeah. that, but okay. yeah. <laughs> like, All right. Well, totally I mean, spoiler alert: it, it's Batman yeah. disguises okay. Croc, yeah. which makes it even actually funnier. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I totally forget that one for whatever reason, but okay. No, yeah, it's me. I mean. It is, it, it's really good disguise. Anyway. Yes. Okay, but yes. Anyway. So I would say Catwoman, <laughs> I consider her more of an anti-hero, though, than a straight-up villain, but yeah. she is one of, um, this is probably one of my favorite interpretations and characterizations of her in this animated series. So I'm going to continue on the ladies' bent, and I love uh, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, particularly in their episode together. I don't know why that didn't mm -hmm. become a spinoff series. Complete missed opportunity there. Yes. So. yes. So, all right, so next we have Derek Jones, and uh, Derek has a background in history as well. Uh, he's also quite um, the, uh, the nerd himself. Um, I mean, let's see, we started watching television together and got really into Rome, because yeah. I remember that, and uh, True Blood, Star Wars, I mean, just the works, and, um, and Derek, too, has a podcast that you should definitely tune into called The Midnight Myth. Uh, where with that is co-hosted with Laurel Hostek. Uh, did I say her name right? Yes, you did. And yeah. um, who is your fiance? And uh, th it's just such an excellent podcast. Uh, basically, they dive into uh, what makes a what makes a story, and you get into the whole philosophical and historical context of storytelling. And um, yeah, so and Derek is going to be lecturing next week, and we'll be discussing Raish Al Ghul in reference to Orientalism, and um, you know, that's pretty much it. I mean, God, I suck at this. Anyway, Derek, <laughs> you're doing really good. Yeah, you're doing. I get like really flustered. Yeah. Um, so, Derek, who is your favorite villain? Seriously, you guys can't see this, but. Is dressed up as Catwoman. I know we've been saying stunning. It. Yeah. And she's, it's absolutely perfect. She's yeah. conducting this panel dressed up as Cat, full gloves. 
I a hat took to use, seriously. Yes. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Um, I would say before doing all of this, my favorite villain was easily the Joker. Um, uh -huh. After spending a few months diving deep into Ra's al Ghul and the Demon's Quest episode, it's absolutely shifted and Ra's al Ghul is now my favorite. Whoa. But, but prior to that, traditionally, really, honestly, it to, was the Joker. You know? To get into uh, your podcast again, The Midnight Myth, you you talk about the Joker. Your episode, oh, you yeah. and Laurel's episode on the Joker is really excellent. You guys should take I, I mean, that. So I, hearing I believe, you switch yeah. to Raish is really... Well, I do believe the Joker is one of the greatest uh, character villains of all time. And I think Mark Hamill's rendition of him is brilliant and genius. But mm -hmm. you can't spend like a month, two months studying one character without that, that character becoming your favorite. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. And then uh, we have uh, Stephen Wood here uh, with us today, who is a, uh, a professor here at Moore College of Art teaching animation. And you have a, you have a background in animation and also doing uh, tabletop games illustration. Um, and uh, we're excited to have you here today to uh, really school us on the animation in Batman the Animated <laughs> Series. Um, and uh, who is your favorite villain? So I was going to say the ventriloquist for Scarface, because he's the one that creeps me out the most, but the, I think the scariest villain from all the episodes is Baby Doll. Oh, Baby Doll! Oh, yes. That's yeah, more of a tragic well figure than Yeah, tragic villain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's the that episode. That Those are the two creepiest episodes of so. it. Yeah. Uh, the first one or the one where she's dating Croc? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Okay. There was a reason why they did it there, and also, there, I mean, uh, I can't remember the condition that she has uh, that makes her, what's it called? I think it was a pituitary. A yeah, pituitary yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, there was actually also a uh, Law and Order, a Law and Order uh, uh, SVU, SVU episode with that, with a character who had yeah. that. She's and it was, yeah, yeah, it was disturbing. So anytime. Yeah, so baby, good one, baby yeah, doll, good yeah. one. Okay, so uh, let's dive into the episodes, uh, shall we? And basically, I'm just going to go down my list here at random. And we have John up Ooh. here first, your number one here on, and this year for Cat Scratch, uh, this year, this week for Cat <laughs> Scratch Fever and Tiger Tiger, you had uh, mental illness. So please okay. educate All right, so us. Just, I'll do the, the standard um, disclaimer. I don't know anything about mental illness except yeah. <laughs> for what I've experienced myself um, and what I've researched. So, you know, in the in the past, and, and as we talk about the show, we talk about Batman as kind of an insane character and a person with a lot of problems. But for once, I'm actually going to argue that Batman is sane. Um, I think that he probably represents a fetish, but not a mania. Um, and we had talked about Batman as a fairy, or, <laughs> or as some other sort of similar, you know. BDSM? Yeah, yeah, S&M um, fetish. And, and it's funny because... I mean, he's into Catwoman. She has a whip. Right. Well, in these two episodes, we get a, a hint of Batman's sexuality. And Batman's sexuality is queer identified in a way, in, in that fetish kind of way. Mm -hmm. He spends a lot of time in a costume resembling a humanoid version of an animal that he, he identifies with. Yes. He's more himself in the costume. He's always in the costume in, in the Batcave. 
right? Like when we see him at home, we don't see him really up in the mansion unless he's putting on airs. He's in the Batcave in the costume. Um, Talia knows his human identity, but when he kisses her in the Demon's Quest, even though he's not wearing a shirt, he is wearing the mask with the ears. Yeah. Um, the mansion's a facade. He's at home in the cave. We talked about that. He loses his identity. You talked about the Scarecrow earlier. And the Scarecrow takes his identity away. So does the Mad Hatter. When he reclaims those identities at the end of those episodes, he reclaims Batman. He says, I am Knight. I'm Batman. Bruce is kind of like, eh, kind of like a throwaway. Um, and he's more interested in Catwoman when she is in costume than he is in Selena Kyle. When he actually sees her, you know, in this episode that we saw today, when she's sick in the street, she's not wearing her mask, but he still calls her Catwoman. He relates to her as, as a cat. Um, he is quite horrified in Tiger Tiger, though. And he her. is. I thought I, I, I saw a little smirk. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like he well, was kind of a event horizon, though, when you think about it in terms of how weary he's going to get with this chick. That's a sort of furry convention. Yeah. Yeah. Or that he's duking it out with an actual cat dude. What are the affections of a cat? Shit, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it was more horrified it would have been done to her. I know. Than, than, Maybe he was yeah. just disappointed she didn't have like eight breasts at that point. Well, yeah. Was, yeah. Like, that was not correct. I was, but he was digging the tail. Um, uh, but you know, people people say that Batman's into, into bad women and dangerous women, but I, I actually don't think that's true. I think, I mean, first off, we talked about this earlier, but Catwoman isn't necessarily bad. She's more of an anti-hero. Um, but also, I think Batman is attracted to women who are attracted to Batman. Mm -hmm. You know, so the, bio, the, the, the series Bible that Bruce Tim wrote says that Bruce Wayne is the mask and Batman's the true persona. And so that means that the women who like Bruce Wayne, Veronica Vreeland, Summer Gleason, Bruce isn't really, Batman isn't really into those. And Miss Bambi is kind of his beard. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, women like Catwoman know the true Batman. And the fact that they're usually categorized as supervillains, it's kind of just a workplace hazard. Um, in terms of Catwoman's mental illness, the reading that we did last week um, for, for Anne's lecture said that Selena Kyle does not qualify for any enduring mental illness. Kleptomaniacs steal impulsively, but she doesn't steal impulsively. Theory is part of her identity as Catwoman, but it's not like a ball and chain on her leg. It doesn't hold her back. It empowers her. Her whole persona empowers her. But Dr. Dorian is a totally different story. So his story is based on The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells. But his persona is more based on Dr. Frankenstein. And... Um, yes. Yeah. It's Even it's in like, the lab, I felt like there was Frankenstein-esque. Yes. It was, um, it was like everything was a soup there. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely a mix of the two. So there's an article called The Psychological Analysis of Shelley's Frankenstein by Matchkin Hirsch. And he wrote that Dr. Frankenstein is, um, he's actually an expression of a pathological narcissist. He perceives the creature as an echo of himself, just like just like the doctor here perceives uh, Tigress as an echo of himself. And that reflects his mental disorder and fear of the unnatural. 
expresses an unrealistic sense of superiority and, express, and expects those around him to submit to that superiority, just like he expects Selena to just submit of her own will. It creates a quest for what, sees, for what he sees as his own rightful divine power to create life in his image. And the destruction that's brought down because of that quest is what led to his classification as a pathological narcissist. The journal Psychology Today says that the pathological narcissist is completely dependent on admiration from others, but resents people that they are dependent upon. So Victor Frankenstein believed that the power he seeks, he believed in the power he seeks, and he can't understand why it might be harmful. Dr. Dorian is desperate to ruin Selena's willingness to go along with the procedure, and abuses the one person who actually does respect him, he slaps Tigress in the face. That, like, was so sad, that yeah. moment. Like, that yeah. always, like, every, I mean, I must have watched this episode a million times, and every time I'm like, I feel for Tigress in that moment. It's, it's so really sad. sad. Yeah. It's really, really sad. That's all I have. Well done. Great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, okay. So next we have Derek. We have for voice acting. And you had one animation note you wanted to talk I about. I did. Um, so... I'll start Let's... with the, the real quick animation note because it's just one thing. Okay. Watching Cat Scratch Fever, I kind of felt the sense that the animation was completely not up to snuff. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, there... Well, interesting enough, it's a little um, blurb um, with the Amazon uh, listing that has like general um, trivia. And this was the episode, according to that, that pretty much told them that this animation studio was not working. Steal my thunder. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, April. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. So, okay, so, so this was the, like a turnaround. The, the company, uh, Atcom Production Company, did Cat Scratch Fever. They did 12 other episodes. Um, and then the last episode they did was Cat Scratch Fever, because the people that uh, were storyboarding and writing and drawing when they would send it to be animation, they actually didn't have control over which animation company it would go to. And they, the entire time, they'd just be like, don't send it to Atcom, don't send it to wow. Atcom. When they looked at this episode, they demanded that they just stop using it because they thought it was the worst drawn and, it, and worst animated, and it really is. Actually, know. I think the Terrible Trio is probably the worst. Well, just saying, that was one. But I'll have to see if, if maybe that animation company did that. But. Well, they, they, you know, I had the list, but I didn't bring it. Oh, like, okay. There's points where Bruce Wayne talks, but his mouth doesn't move. They forgot a G in Daggett on Daggett Enterprises <laughs> oh, um, on the, the building. Um, they didn't at all animate the people in the courtroom. Yeah. When Selena, at the very beginning, they're just drawn and just sitting there while everything else is animated. Mm -hmm. Just in general, it just felt so, like, stiff and wooden. There was also another scene that really bothered me in that episode, too, is that Selena's profile when they're in the road, mm -hmm. and, like, her eye is, like, right up. It's, like, basic <laughs> drawing. That's, like, the first thing you learn in art school is that you're, a person's eyeball is not in profile up at their nose. How do you learn that Cyclops? Yeah, or I mean, flounder. unless it's a Cyclops, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, and that scene actually, like, always really bothers me every time I see it. I'm like, God, yeah. this is, like, that's really bad. There's also yeah, a so. frame on the ice where Batman disappears. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, I didn't notice He's just not that. there. Yeah. yeah. It was just a, overall, I think, one of the worst. Uh, 
in, in general, I think Cat Scratch Fever is one of my least favorite episodes, and it's also one of the least drawn. I thought it's interesting how the economics of making a TV show affect the art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm actually really into the narrative of Cat Scratch oh, yeah, Fever yeah. because it's like definitely more, one of the more politically charged, like yeah. testing on animal kind and of. Uh, it's not a bad story, it's yeah, just a bad the, episode. Yeah. yeah. I would totally agree. Cool. Um, so, anyway, on to voice acting. So, yeah. a few things voice acting in general. Um, anyone who's talked about the show that's an ex-voice actor in it, they all credit the voice acting director, uh, Andrea Romano, as the secret of their success. So a few things that she did differently. Um, for starters, she said, don't think of it as, a, um, as animation, think of it as a play. So she encouraged everyone to play off of each other. Typical uh, shows will have voice actors in their own booth, in their own studio, just recording. And then what she did is she put everyone into the same room and put sound dividers around their sides so everyone could see each other, they could hear each other, but the sound wouldn't bleed over into the recording. That way the actors can really play off of each other. And if you think of the voice acting, it really does feel natural. Even in the worst episodes, it feels like these characters are actually in a room talking to each other. It's because they were, um, which I think is pretty cool. They use this technique that I didn't know about called ADR, which is Automated Dialogue Replacement. So one of the challenges in voice acting is um, the fight scenes. So you might act the fight scene where someone might punch and be like, ah, and then they'll jump in and go, ah, and then they'll see the animation, and the fight scene might be longer, or it just might not fit. So what a lot of companies will, or pardon me, um, shows will do, is they'll just take stock fight sounds and just loop them over. So what Batman the Animated Series did that was different is they took what they actually recorded in there and then they created the loops off of the actors. So that way the fight scenes always match the actual voices as opposed to just using stock loops, but they did have to loop them, um, which I thought was pretty interesting and cool. Uh, I don't think you can talk voice acting, though he's not in these episodes, without mentioning Mark Hamill, um, who I think is without a doubt the best voice actor in the show. In my not so Oh my God. Yeah, I, I Evan just think, Conroy, hello. Yeah, he's the second best. Yeah, he's the second best. I don't know, your hero is only as good as your villain. True. And my, Mark Hamill was not uh, slated to be in the show at all, but he actively sought it out. I think it was Tim Curry, wasn't it? Tim Curry was their first pick, but yeah. it fell through. It couldn't work. And when Mark Hamill just told his agent, like, get me on this show, for a large part is he realized, having been Luke Skywalker, he could never really do screen or... Um, a play or like playhouse acting again because uh, all he really had left was his voice because people will always see him as Luke Skywalker and fun fact he was the only Batman comic book reader of the voice actors hmm. yeah which I thought oh he's a giant nerd oh he's totally a nerd yeah. uh, a quote of his the joke about the laugh Joker's laugh his laugh should be his musical instrument um, which I thought was interesting that he thought that the laugh not about menacing not about being this one generic thing, but be a musical instrument expressing the musicality of the Joker. Which I think when you look at that lens and watch his performances, that totally rings true. Because there is not one Joker laugh that he does, it ranges. Um, another fun fact, Mark Hamill was only given one note for his audition, uh, don't think Jack Nicholson. <laughs> which I thought was very cool, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here is Jack Nicholson, an iconic Joker performance, and they're actively trying to separate from he that. killed it, too. Yeah, which totally I, which I thought it. was interesting. Um, standout performances, Tigress. I thought Tigress's voice acting was phenomenal. 
I love the way that he starts as an animal and becomes more human as the show progresses. It gets a testament to the writing and the way that he acted it. So the actor that played him is Jim Cummings, and he's kind of a big deal. So if you didn't know some of his other performances, uh, Darkwing Duck, oh. he was Tigger, and oh. Winnie the Pooh. What? So, yeah, mm -hmm. this guy's like a real deal voice actor, and uh -huh. you can tell that quality voice actors wanted to be a part of this program. Uh -huh. um, and you got Winnie the Pooh to be a villain in one episode. You're, the show is then a big deal. Yeah. Um, he also played uh, Garth, uh, Jim Cummings. So other voice acting fun things. Adrian Barbaru, I don't know if I'm Barbara. saying that right. Oh. right. So she's, sorry, yeah, <laughs> she's Catwoman. And I, I don't think at face value you think, man, that's a transcendent voice acting uh, job, you know? But I, I would argue that she's probably also one of the best. You know, as Selena Kyle and Catwoman, I love the way that she plays it, that Selena Kyle and Catwoman's voice is not any different. Um, a lot of what makes, makes Kevin Conroy such a good Batman is that he chose to have a Bruce Wayne voice and a Batman voice. And I like that she did not choose that for Catwoman, showing that there's a more sort of consistent Catwoman uh, identity, that Selena Kyle and Catwoman are two separates, they are one, and uh, she's like literally in everything. Yeah. So fun fact about her, she used to be married to John Carpenter, she's in a lot of his movies, uh, she is an acclaimed author as well, and if you do her IMDb page, the amount of work that this one person has done from television, film, and voice acting is in stage. It's, it's staggering how well accomplished that she is. So another piece of evidence that real serious performers were drawn to this show. And then finally, we get to Kevin Conroy, who uh, I think is one of the best versions of the Batman. He invented the idea that Bruce Wayne and Batman need separate voices that is now standard in the Batman uh, canon. Uh, he was not a Batman fan when he went to his audition. Uh, he uh, was not also top of the list. They had interviewed, or sorry, auditioned a few hundred people, and they got to Kevin Conroy, and uh, he said, so what's the deal? What do you want me to do here? They said, Batman is obsessed with vengeance against his dead parents, and he's very dark. And he goes, okay, I'll do Hamlet. And I thought that was huh. interesting that he saw Batman as Hamlet, and this guy that wasn't a Batman fan, he took that literally, so we're seeing Kevin Conroy's version of Hamlet, other fun fact, he is a Shakespearean trained actor. So I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and you can't like discredit that Kevin Conroy absolutely nails the two voice better than any other voice actor or actor that I've seen do Batman since. Um, he originally, the first time they recorded it, he made Bruce Wayne very, very upbeat and very positive. And they asked him to actually tone it down. They thought that it didn't really fit the, the tone of the show. So he made a little bit of Batman into his Bruce Wayne, and I think once he got that you know, correction, he nailed it. Um, in general, yeah, that's what I got, man. I'll tell you, like, researching and learning more about voice acting, something that as a comic fan and a comic book um, you know, animated fan, I always took for granted. It's amazing how many like really serious and smart and successful people uh, put their energy into the show, and I think it definitely pays dividends because you don't, me as a fan watching it, don't automatically think, man, that's such amazing acting. I just think, oh, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think that is sort of the secret, one of the secrets of the success of this franchise. Great. Cool. Thank you, Derek. There's also yeah. this really cool documentary, I think, produced by Joe DiMaggio. Mm -hmm. 
um, about voice actors, and I recommend that to everyone. Oh, cool. It is really cool. Yeah. Uh, great. So uh, to get uh, follow up on animation, Stephen, do you want to share with us some yeah, animation? Um, yeah, knowledge. it's very interesting to watch this now as an adult and mm -hmm. sort of knowing the history. So, like, Batman the Animated Series came out during the big cartoon Saturday morning boom. Um, and it also came out in a weird transition, right, from the WB Studios going from 24 frames per second to 12 frames per second. So if you ever notice it ever looks like choppy, that's why. They're still storyboarding on 24 frames, mm -hmm. but then they send it off to a studio to work on it. Um, and it's interesting, as an adult, I, I cringe really hard at a lot of the animation because uh, it's like oh that frame doesn't need to be there or why are you paused so long on this one shot like it was very much I got to show you everything for a second and it's like come on make it snappier make it snappier but if you think about they were still doing stuff on cells and having to paint cells so the production pipeline isn't wasn't as fast as it is now where we can go from drawing to digital to, to ink to done so like if you compare an old Batman episode to like Batman Beyond, which is still pretty old. It came out like around 2004-ish. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, the animation is so much cleaner and brighter because they could utilize modern technology. It almost makes me want to go back and like take these old episodes and storyboards and have someone reanimate them. Um, personally, I would love the studio that makes One Punch Man to reanimate Batman. Um, if you haven't seen One Punch Man, it's basically the Batman of Japan. <laughs> um, except the opposite side of personality. It's a clueless, um, but I think one, one of the funny things I like watching these old ones is, so in Cat Scratch Fever, when they're on the ice, there are several scenes where they're trying to make it look like ice, and you can literally see the cellophane of the frame as they're just trying to like wiggle it in front of the camera to, mm. to cheat and oh, not cool. have to animate anything. Or the one we watched last week with Two-Face, when all of a sudden they overlaid actual footage of rain on top of Batman to cut corners. So it's interesting to watch all the corners they had to cut for the animation, but I remember watching it as a kid, and just thinking, oh wow, this is the most epic animation ever. <laughs> yeah. Like, like um, Tiger Tiger is one of my favorite episodes. When I was a kid, I was like, I love this episode. There's monsters, there's people. And I watch it now, it's like, it's so slow. And I really think that has to do with our evolution of our attention spans, right? We need things to be short, snappy, you know, scenes need to be under 10 minutes long before you go to commercial, things like that. Whereas, if you watch them, they're very long, drawn-out episodes, right? Uh, you know, she gets captured, she gets turned into the cat, Batman shows up, and then there's a fight. But that's the whole episode. Whereas, if you were to look at uh, Justice League or Batman today, that would all have been in the first five minutes of the episode. Yeah. So, um, it is interesting to see how drawn-out it is. I do like that, one thing I brought up uh, last week when I was talking about the episodes uh, with Matt was that... Um, no one has weight, right? You can just throw anybody you want around. There's no weight. There's no... And, and the other interesting part about the animation is when Batman destroys something, there are no consequences to him destroying stuff. So in Tiger Tiger, he's like breaking the lab. He's throwing the table over. But there's no like gas explosions. But as soon as Tiger does it, it, it blows up. So Batman is infallible in his actions in the animation, whereas the villains aren't, which is a weird thing. But I think it's, it's definitely, uh, if, you, if you love animation and you want to study animation, watch the Batman series because you get to see all, like, especially after you know it, you get to see all the tricks and shortcuts they took and whether or not it's a good decision or a bad decision. Like, um, 
when Selena collapses at the end of Cat Scratch Fever, it's like three frames where she just jerks down. And you could tell the storyboard artist was like, okay, this should be like 10 frames, nice and smooth, and then they sent it off to that studio, and they were like, I'm not doing that, I'm gonna drop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, also, the, um, there's a big difference between early seasons of Batman, where they would send the episodes to either Canadian or American studios, whereas later episodes, they all get sent to Korea and Korean, so you get to see like two different animation techniques um, versus like the because the people who are doing the American studios they're the ones who are working on like uh, Mad, uh, not Mad like Polly Pocket, Mad Max, like those really bad Saturday morning just to sell toys. And it wasn't until like the WB really went, wait, we have something here, we can sell cartoons and movies, and we can make this a franchise that they and like you said they were like, don't ever send it back to that studio. Um, and that's, it's interesting to see that transition from early seasons to cleaner animation towards the end. But the funny thing is, is they spent so much money on the intro to have it animated by a Japanese studio, and it's all snappy and nice and epic, and then you open up the thing and it's like, Bruce Wayne's like sliding across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. I, well, you know, that's, like, that's awesome because it definitely challenges my nostalgic yeah, you know, glasses. Because yeah. I still look at it like it's so great. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. No, so we're gonna rewatch it. You're like, oh man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, also Thanks. with a lot of animation today. I mean, how much is actually hand drawn today, though? Yeah. Um, not much. much. I mean, there's still traditional animation, traditional techniques, but yeah. it's done inside of a digital program. Yeah. Because it, it's like so. If you look at um, the game that just came out, Cuphead, uh -huh. there. Um, bragging about the fact that it's all traditionally done on paper. and But that doesn't really make a difference because you could do that on the machine too and save yourself a whole step of having to capture. Yeah. And so everything now, except for in Japan, everything's still drawn on paper in Japan. Um, but there are studios there who are trying to change that because it's faster, it's more economical, animators don't have to work as hard. Um, and like our animators over here, they make like, you know, anywhere between sixty and $80,000 a year. In Japan, you make like twelve grand. Oh. So um, there is that distinction of trying to, like, Japan's trying to move to a more digital setting. Um, but yeah, not a lot, you know, you're not going to be able to buy a, uh, you know, a Justice League set, uh, cell, you know, thing that was actually painted by a human art, you know, that's just prints on cell thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all moving to um, digital. I, I think DC is still... And, and Warner Brothers is still focused on keeping it as traditional looking as possible, but there are some like random terrible Batman things on Cartoon Network where you can see it's like Toon Boom or Flash or it's really really bad. <laughs> like, um, what is the the Batman? The Batman. Yeah, yeah. 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 I've watched a few episodes of it. That was That's nice. all you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really, I really watched it for like the Catwoman episode and yeah. That's the one with uh, Gina Gershon. Is Catwoman? I don't know. What really? Wait, it's the one where um, all the male superheroes are like, uh, like the super buff. Like, oh, toy. is it Batman and Brave and the Bolt? Yeah, I think that. Actually, that one is. I have like a weird mixed reaction because the stories themselves are like super weird. Yeah, like, they go back to like the old like um, Bob King. Mm -hmm. He was a psycho, by the way. Um, Bill Kane like that, the whole Dick Spring kind yeah. of look. But like there's some undertones in there that like, how did you get away with that? Yeah. 
It didn't last very long. <laughs> it did, but you know what? It was actually pretty good. It, it was pretty good. I, that's when I would recommend rewatching, um, just for the fun of it. Is that the series that had Batmite in it? Yeah, movie? and Batmite okay, so breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, yeah Batmite. Batmite broke the fourth weird. wall, and then had like well, he's the like the Batman version of Mixoplick, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And there was an yeah. episode where like all the alternative. Reality Batman, yeah. Show up, yeah. I think Paul Dini wrote that episode. Yeah, there's a caveman Batman. That's my favorite. Batman. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, I'm next here, and I had duality, and I also forgot my notes, so this should be interesting. But I mean, <laughs> it basically, writes it writes back. itself. I because really, we have two Catwoman centric episodes, so I just wanted to. I'll talk about Catwoman and, and Batman. Um, basically. Well, what's really interesting in Tiger Tiger, as far as the duality goes, is is we're talking about people's identifying with their animal selves and their humanoid selves, and and um, and how Catwoman is uh, throughout this episode is able to like kind of keep keep hold of her own uh, humanity. I mean, as much as she projects a lot of like her uh, personality and. Um, all that kind of stuff to cats. Um, but, uh, yeah, so basically I would say uh, the duality with uh, Catwoman is way more uh, healthy and, and thought out than with uh, Batman, who seems to always, like, struggle between, you know, obviously he has two separate voices as himself, as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, he's also, like... Uh, you know, as far as being a vigilante, like as uh, you know, working with the law and against the law, uh, whereas Catwoman is very comfortable with her criminal self and her reasons for um, uh, being Catwoman. As far as like, yeah, she's more like a Robin Hood figure. Like, obviously, she's a criminal, but she's uh, stealing for um, for a good cause because she's like uh, trying to help with animal rights and both the episodes like Cat Scratch Fever, uh, the protagonist of it would be Isis who gets kidnapped, which is Catwoman's, what is that? Which is uh, Catwoman's um, pet cat who helps, who, who helps her, who is expertly trained to help steal diamonds and <laughs> what is that? Oh, is it whiskey? Um, uh, it's green. Uh, I'm distracted by the alcohol being passed around. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, I mean, basically, I feel like uh, it's it's the duality is between Batman and Catwoman, and and who uh, is more um, comfortable being their their disguised self versus their real self. And again, we were talking earlier, like Selena Kyle doesn't have like her voice is like you know consistently. The same because she's not so much a different person as Catwoman as Catwoman is a a tool in her belt to um, accomplish goals and tasks that are important to her in her life, um, and yeah, that's basically all I have on duality. Can I? Uh, yeah. And sorry. Yeah. Please I do. I have a thousand like, theories and like, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it. Points of views and opinions and because like Batman and Catwoman is like my OTP. Yeah. Like let's do legit. it. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think to go back to what um, Jonathan mentioned earlier about the women that Batman attracts, I think it's more with these two, they both have light and dark in them. Mm -hmm. 
And I think Catwoman is attracted to the light in Batman, and Batman is attracted to the dark in Catwoman, but he sees the light in her. Again, when we go back to the, uh, the Bible for the show, their relationship is described as complicated. Catwoman is the Rubicon that Batman cannot cross because he will lose himself as the crime fighter if he does. I think for um, Catwoman, I mean, for Batman, Catwoman represents freedom because Catwoman is free to be who she is despite the fact that the courts tell her that she cannot put on her suit. Um, Batman doesn't have that kind of freedom. He has the freedom to operate as an agent of justice or whatever he calls himself. He's a vigilante. He's a criminal. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a certain burden that comes with that. And when he looks at her, she's more free than he will ever be. And I think that's what attracts him to her. And the fact that they both had these two sides to themselves, they, they are literally, she was literally created to be a mirror image of him. So they, they had like this automatic, like binary connection. And that's what makes them so compelling as a couple. Like I, people will ship Batman and Catwoman. They will ship Batman and, and Talia. They'll ship Batman and, and Wonder Woman. But that, that stuff will never work because no one will ever understand Bruce Wayne, Batman, more than Selena Kyle or Catwoman. And I think it's interesting that also Selena is completely not attractive to Bruce Wayne at all. Because I he's mean, not dangerous. Well, and there's that, but also uh, there's like this fakeness because this is this like fake persona. And I think like she may not know exactly what's going on, why it's like that, but she's definitely like, uh, yeah, I mean, you're messed up or something. You're like fake. You're not somebody that, you know, I would be he interested in dating. He represents everything that she rejects in society. She only steals from rich people. Well, that's actually another really great thing that I like about Catwoman that comes out actually more so in the comics than it does yeah. because there's also a duality between them um, with class. Like Catwoman's from a lower class uh -huh. society and Bruce Wayne is like higher class. And, and there's that play between um, classism is also really another super interesting it's part about the relationship. But we were talking about it's that, they don't play on it in the show. Enough. No, not like the Selena show. is like obviously a very successful jewel thief and lives in a penthouse and has a personal assistant. But like um, and a bunch of cats and a bunch of cats. But um, in the comics, it's she's played more like an like you could like an alley cat. Like she yeah. she roams the streets and seems really or roams. That sounds like weird. But anyway, <laughs> no. she seems like <laughs> really. I didn't mean yeah. it like that. No, but anyway, she's uh, she portrays herself as an independent person, but she is dependent on um, the kindness of strangers. the kindness of strangers, which is exactly what a cat you know, cats like. That's how they survive. But they, they also they're aloof very, and we're fascinated yeah, by them, like but completely indifferent. But they're so they need me to feed them at the end of the day. You know. Do you know what that whole relationship sounds like to me? Hmm. Fearful symmetry. Booyah! <laughs> yep. That's what it's all about. That's only because me and John kind of cheated because we, we got did. here We earlier. talked about it before. Oh, yeah. there we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. You want to expand on that? Is, well, the, I mean, yeah. so yeah. that's 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 Tiger Tiger, right? That's the Tiger end of Tiger the burning, burning yeah. in the forest of the night with fearful eye could frame that fearful symmetry. 
Yeah. So fearful symmetry is the relationship they have. They have a dualic relationship where they rely on each other because they both have these light and dark contrasts. They pull each other away from, from going over the edge, right? Batman can't be too dark. Catwoman can't really be too light either. But they need each other to actually experience things because there's no one else in the world that can pull Batman into an actual human relationship than Catwoman can. Very good. Can yes. I, can I All mention right, yeah, something let's totally? Add, uh, and you have 60 seconds. I have 60 oh. seconds, yeah. Costumes. Sorry. They were there. Oh, wait, yeah. not you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was talking to Derek. Oh, Derek. Oh, Derek. Oh, Derek was going to say something. So he was totally going to speed yeah. the whole thing. I think I said end. Oh. Okay. My you have 60 seconds. seconds. All right, 60 seconds. Really interesting thing that yeah. Batman says to uh, Dr. The Dr. Monroe guy, I'm blanking on his name, um, is that he's committed crimes. He Do has it. committed crimes against nature. Mm -hmm. And it shows to me the duality of Batman as civilized, as someone that respects these like fundamental and universal laws. It's the first time we see him. He also like references heaven in that episode, too. But the idea that there is some sort of a universal legal system or law that he follows that this person is broken and that that's the, the reason why Batman can come after him, which I thought was an interesting part. It's a little small moment of that episode, mm -hmm. but it, it, I think it highlights the duality of I break the laws of nature. Well, Batman breaks tons of laws, yeah. but he upholds the laws of nature. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, very good. Did it um, in 60 seconds. So yeah, it's a challenge. Um, Batman's assault right is hypocrite, if you want yes. my personal opinion. But anyway, Anne, costumes. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, of course, we've talked uh, overall about the whole 30s look. It's very, the show in itself is kind of an homage to noir for kids. Um, and a lot of the choices, as far as colors go, came from the fact that it was on like a darkened black background. So they had to pick colors for the costumes that would kind of stand out. That's part of the reason why Batman's costume is blue. Um, you know, Selena's slash Catwoman's outfits, costumes, they are all very streamlined, they're structured, so it's a lot in line of like the 30s, 40s style. It was a more serious time in the country and that was, you know, reflected in the fashions. So um, it was funny because uh, we did talk in one of our early meetings about what time period is Batman really set in? Because as much as you just look at the fashion, the weapons, there's a lot of stuff from the 30s, 40s there. But um, Bruce Wayne has a cell phone that fits in his jacket pocket. It's like Catwoman goes to Daggett Labs and gets out of her DeLorean. And <laughs> well, that fits in any time. Yeah, yeah. I guess that this yeah. is true. It really yeah. can go anywhere. Yeah. Well, I was about to say, Louis Burr. Yes. <laughs> So at sometimes it seems like it's just roulette of whatever decade is going to fit whatever the, the animators want to draw at that point. So, or we could just blame the terrible animation at yeah. that point for that strategy. We're like, this is a great car for the only tiny <laughs> Americas. Um, but yeah, so there was like that more of that structure, the clean lines, um, and there's also I was gonna uh, give credit for some of April's uh, the evolution of Catwoman's look because she pretty much started her first appearance when she was just called the Cat, and we were talking about this earlier. She just wore like this yellow librarian's blouse and like a purple <laughs> costume cat head, and it evolved uh, to the point of what we see now, the cat suit, which actually had. Um, roots in the TV series because Catwoman disappeared for several years 
due to the comics code where you weren't allowed to glamorize any kind of uh, criminality. Uh, the villain always had to lose at the end. The hero always had to stand for truth, justice. Um, you had to actually, um, they also said you have to promote the sanctity of marriage. You can never have the government or the police looking like they're the bad guys. They always have to be on the side of good. Somewhere Jeff Sessions just got an erection. So it's <laughs> <laughs> A plus and it was like the A plus comment of the panel. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I know. As I'm saying all this, I'm like, wow, this is just like, yeah. so many things we're seeing playing out now. But um, because of that, they were just like, Catwoman isn't going to work in line with these standards, even though they weren't like an official, I guess, like, Law full uh, panel, mm. you did uh, were able you were more easily carried in uh, shops to sell comics if you had that little literal stamp of approval yeah. from the comics code. So Catwoman disappeared from the scene, and in the meantime, the '60s series uh, came into being, and they dressed her in this kind of black spangly cat suit, and so that influence came back in once they, you know, were allowed to draw Catwoman again, and she came back into being. And her cowl is definitely reminiscent of. Batman's, it gives them another sense of duality there because as opposed to just, you know, the cat eye mask. Um, her makeup was, of course, very feline in when she's Selena. She's got the cat eye makeup going on there. And uh, she's very Veronica Lake, I feel, in her. Uh, <laughs> I am exactly. terrified her crosses. Yes, yes, in her look there, probably, yeah. First props for knowing who Veronica Lake is. How can you, you not know? know who Veronica Lake is? Really? Yeah. Oh, dude, you gotta get some TCM going here, yeah. <laughs> like AMC, but yeah, we're gonna have to school you guys. Going right over my head. The only thing she doesn't yeah. have, like the, the she doesn't have yeah, the, the one, comb over yeah, her eye. Like, yeah, yeah just one eye. Yes. Talia has that. Yes, that's true. true. Yes. Um, okay. Yes. Well, yeah, also yeah. the other thing, the tiger. I feel like in the beginning of the episode is a call to her in the comics because she actually was paired with a tiger early oh, on in the wow. comics, and the tiger looks exactly like the tiger from. I think it's like the forties, fifties, um, before the comics code, because yes. then she did disappear. But yeah, the tiger looks exactly well, like the tiger in the comics. <laughs> in Tiger, Tiger, um, the color scheme for that tiger and Bruce Wayne's suit was the same. Oh yeah, I I don't know if that was intentional, but it looked like a little foreshadowing you, um, to me. You know, well, you know the tiger from the '40s comics, right? Because oh. the it looks exactly like the tiger that she was with, and it was yellow and black. And obviously, the other reason being in comics printing, they only had a so many colors. color palette. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but I meant for yeah. the animation show. It was just like, oh, how embarrassing! Bruce Wayne and this tiger wore the same outfit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, how? Like, she has a day with Bruce Wayne, and she's at the zoo hanging out with a tiger, and she's like, hello, handsome. I know. Tiger. I'm like, she has uh, her priorities straight. She's got her priorities straight, you know. And then, like, also, like the major day or whatever it was like, oh, she said she would be late. She's visiting a friend. Yes, yeah. at the zoo. At the yeah. zoo. Um, I can answer some of your question about uh, the time period in which it takes place yes. in. So um, in the 80s, Tim Burton did his movie or whatever, and uh, what they wanted, they wanted Batman to be timeless. They wanted to be ambiguous when it took place, but they wanted to also feel modern. So what they did is they took a look at the 19, like 30s, 40s, and 50s architecture styles of like... Art Deco. Yeah, Art Deco, and then the idea of like everything needs to have a jet engine on it and look like it can fly, that kind of thing. <laughs> And so they took that, but then they took the, if you go back and watch, like, you can watch old, like, futurism documentaries, like, what's the year 1988 going to look like? And they have, like, you can you can spot, like, the architecture and the stuff side by side with Batman. So Batman's supposed to take place in the 80s and 90s. 
but like in an alternate universe where all the stuff from the 50s was realized into a real life instead of the Reagan-esque era, you know, everyone being it's going to be post-apocalyptic that also reminds me of the world's fair in uh mask of the phantasm yeah you know like there's the entire sequence that takes place in the future version of the past that didn't actually exist. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it's yeah. supposed to be like it's almost like an alternate reality to our yeah. own reality what is the cool it's thing with dc when they maintain their multiverse mm -hmm. instead of trying to like hand this this whatever the company line is mm -hmm. because you can tell these stories like these outlandish stories and you could be okay with it and still maintain your continuity mm -hmm. um so the worst thing that they you know in crisis infinity earth was supposed to you know fix all of that shit mm -hmm. but excuse me okay <laughs> but that was just me the biggest, uh, the biggest funny thing about like the architecture that they pulled from those is that all the highways are like 30 stories high. Oh, yeah. Because when people high. fall from them, they like fall forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very like vertigo. <laughs> yeah. That's what they thought. They thought everything was going to be high rise roads. Except we do get Barbara Gordon hitting the pavement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was a fantasy sequence. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, let's go finish up here. We're finishing up. Um, but we are going to add, we're going to be talking about porn and comics and animation. But before Perfect, let's ease in there with uh, feminism. April. I had to scale back a lot of what my lecture <laughs> because I didn't want to switch. Because this is like perfect for, I mean, in terms of like talking about feminism and yes. this, in this particular series. Um, first of all, I just want to like have like a kind of... Uh, a little statement, I hate the term empowerment or empowering because it's a misnomer. And I think with um, Catwoman, I can illustrate why I feel that's a bullshit word. Um, because we all possess power. No one can give it to us. No one can take it away. Now, how we are able to use that power is a completely different story. And that's where we come in with agency. And that's why I chose these two episodes because we come into contact where Catwoman's agency is challenged in two of these episodes. In terms of the first um, episode, Cat Scratch Fever, her identity, and her actual body in Tiger Tiger Boom. I'm sorry, it's just Tiger Tiger. I just got like, this is actually You're like episode. a huge William Blake fan? It, Totally introduced me to William Blake. Oh yeah, who is awesome and an awesome illustrator too. By the way, he's oh, very gothic. Oh. Um, so just to uh, get a little background um, for Catwoman and her soul. Can you? Uh, you're going to talk about the femme fatale thing because that was like. I can. I'm, I can. Okay. I can talk Sorry. about it too. Yeah. Um, but uh, Catwoman was designed to basically tempt Batman. She was the femme fatale. Um, the original Batman, he was just basically beating up like gangsters and criminals like every day, you know, just BS. And it, he's designed to be like a hard-boiled detective. Mm -hmm. um, so Catwoman was introduced to kind of like pay up on it, and she became a femme fatale. She's, you know, super smart, super sexy, super alluring, but at the end of the day, he has to overcome her feminine wiles and be the hero that he's supposed to be. Um, 
So we, we come back here. Um, I wanted to quote because I, you know, it's like Bob Kane is such a dick. Um, yeah, he is. <laughs> but he, he. But Bill Finger. Yeah, he didn't get. And who actually. No. Who actually created most. He ghost wrote and he ghost drew like a huge chunk of those early Batman um, comics uh, and created all of the iconic characters that you see today. Yeah, it was um, really weird how that, because what, didn't he get credit, credit like, post Just recently. Like, like, yeah, he died he in, like, died. 1974. Yeah, like, um, what the hell? Like, which, why? again, like, kind of, which is, talk about fearful symmetry. Um, because there's also that, that question of law versus justice, because um, Bob Kane made a, a lot of money off of Batman, while Bill Finger basically died in destitute. And there's no justice in that. And he cre- he literally created these characters that we love so much. And uh, I but, did not uh, know that. I'm just gonna put oh, you did it? Oh, yeah. It's really messed up. Oh, um, uh, but Bo- and Bob Kane, if you're going to talk about Bob Kane's description of Catwoman, Catwoman that Bob is messed up. This is, Let's hear that. Boom. And we got <laughs> segue. Um, Bob Kane described, he's like, we chose uh, a cat mostly because cats are cool detached, unreliable, cats are hard to st- understand, they are erratic as women are. Bob Kane quoted. That's a, that's a direct quote. Yeah, that oh, is wow. a direct quote. He's effing insane. He was and he even actually to pre-quote that, I feel like he even said, I may sound like a misogynist <laughs> in saying this. Yeah, and then yes. he goes on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and dogs are really friendly and <laughs> well, I like that loves is, dogs. I like that Catwoman is a jewel thief. Yeah. Um because diamonds are a girl's Girl best friend. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um but the, uh oh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get so sidetracked. I'm trying to keep myself in line because I go off on tangents. I'm I apologize in advance. Yes. Um We were talking about um how Batman was training himself to, you know, be like the best crime fighter ever. And we're like, well, how did Catwoman get her skills? I was like, well, Catwoman grew up on the streets. She's got, and that's, to me, what makes Catwoman a better character than Batman, because Catwoman is a self-made person. She's a thief. But still, she's, you know, she had power in her. She used her power in a way that she saw fit. And the fact that um, she goes to court, and in open court, she's revealed um, her identity is completely stripped from her. In this court of law, an open forum, a public forum, everyone knows who she is. She can never go back to being this mysterious lady. I don't want to say of the night because it has connotations, but night like I said, figure. Yes. Um, while Batman, also a criminal, he's not in court. Which in, in this episode, I remember saying he just like totally like left her holding the bag in that alleyway yeah. when the cops came, and was like, "I'll just bail her out when you know the time comes." And he was literally like, in this episode, was constantly reaffirming the fact that she's a criminal. Like, every other line in that episode is like, oh, she's a criminal, I'm a criminal, 
um, I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. I got a joke. I got a record. You know. Like, after he after he got friend-zoned when he bailed yeah. her out, and then immediately he goes, oh, well, then, as a friend, let me remind you, you that you, you being arrested, <laughs> yeah. you being arrested means that it's going to break your parole. And, and he was, like, like, totally... She was, like, and I did not. am totally going to go on the, the square drawing. And she was, like, fuck that shit. <laughs> I got a DeLorean. I'm going to get in my DeLorean. <laughs> I'm going to pull up in front of this, this you know, douche, research. Douche, I am doing air enterprises. Yeah. yeah. Um, plus, P.S., I got I to gotta say this. Ed Asner as Roland Daggett. Oh, yes. Well, how does Roland Daggett always can like never get arrested? Though? Exactly, and it, like he's like oh, blew up was gonna blow up Crime Alley. Now Roland he's Daggett. testing animals and gonna like release this thing, and it's obvious it's him. He does he not never say gets arrested. He d- and so, what is the line between justice and law? Money. And that's mm-hmm. actually what she said when she started. She's like, Daggett had all those lawyers, and they were oh, out, yeah. and I had to sit there. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it was kind of from the beginning. She realized, like, so yeah, it's also an, it's, it's also so. class. It's class yeah. sex. It's, it. I don't know. I like to give them credit for you know sneaking this stuff in in a kids show, which I have to reiterate every once in a while. It's like a, a show geared towards kids, but you have like these heavy, heavy subjects. Sneaking their way into there. Um, as far as um, Tiger Tiger, we have a literal interpretation of female agency over her own body, and that's what makes this the most insidious yeah, episode for me. Because all of these things that happened to Selena, she did not sign on for. She loves. Cats. She's a misanthrope, but that does not mean that she's not human. Mm-hmm. You can't unilaterally make these decisions for her because you think, oh, I love cats. I should be one. Yeah. <laughs> or, or because he thinks that she can't make the decision herself. Yes. Yeah. It's also interesting because he's done this, but like he loves cats, won't experiment on them. It's like, what? He's still human. He's not. Yeah. Know, oh, Dr. Dorian yeah. is F the F up. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's yeah. a pathological narcissist. Yeah. I'll also say I love cats. And sometimes when I'm heading out to work and I see one of my cats like curled up having nap time on my bed, sometimes I'm like, I wish I was a cat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd like no, to be I a wish cat I was now. a squirrel, actually. <laughs> Wait, do yeah. you want to be knocked out, dragged to an yes. island? <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, then I draw be the forced line, to take yeah. cat serum. That's not what be a squirrel. Squirrels, they get their nuts. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will use random um, people's roofs and, and like crawl spaces as um, bang palaces. Um, they don't pay rent. They get free cable. Yeah. There's the other half of that episode, too, where she's treated as if she's... Um, uh, An object betr- to be won. Yeah, a betrothed yeah. bride. He's going to make a yeah. bride for his creation. And she says, yeah. literally, I can't be won this way. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the, he's been telling his son that, that if he defeats Batman, Selena will be hit, hurt. Like, if you defeat her love interest in combat, then she'll be yours. And it's yeah. like, that was always, even when I was a kid, I was like, it's, oh, that's it's, weird. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. It's like, yeah. it's like yeah. a very animal creepy. kingdom. But it's yeah. like, she kind of got into it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. But seriously, um, so, but did, my question would be then, did Catwoman then, to make it, like, truly feminist, 
did Catwoman on her own agency save herself? Or was it Batman? No, because we come back to the femme fatale. Who's like, because is she the damsel in distress? Because I also think that's where Catwoman um, also breaks the ties in traditional narrative where she's not the typical she's not. damsel in distress. Well, but when she's in the alley and this dude is threatening her with a trash <laughs> Because... Trash cans in Gotham City are deadly. Yeah. Um, I think in these two episodes, she is in distress, though. But I think in both of these episodes, she's sick. Yeah. And it's, yes. it's something that has been done. And he both swoops in and both his personas to save her. And that's like that, that diametric relationship that they have. You know, is. Um, Catwoman, like I said, is literally like my fifth favorite fictional character of all time mm-hmm. because she's so complicated she's so complex there's so many layers to her and i think this show does a really good job of i mean the, the sad thing is you only see her in a handful of episodes in the series mm-hmm. but um she does have an arc she has like a full arc yeah, she, in this and well I feel, I, like, I feel like after tiger tiger we don't see her again and then you see her she finally in the Scarface comes, episode. And the Scarface episode is when she definitely breaks away. And it book And ends, becomes, like, it, she's no yeah. longer the Robin Hood, like, question, like, she's a straight-up criminal she's, no, by the end not, of that episode. She's, yeah, she she's decides, like, criminal. I'm going to be alone. This is the way it is. She decides to be who she is, mm-hmm. much like Batman. And it under whatever her circumstances or whatever her definition of that is, she is in charge of her own agency by the end of that episode. Because she was manipulated into doing something that... Okay, so what do you think of season four, Catwoman, then? Because she comes back, she's all like, I just want to steal this statue. It got weird. That's like literally... I think it got in season four, it got away... I think season four got away with... It it deviated from creepy. I mean... It ends with her in bed, showering herself with diamonds... Being like, this is great. I think it got away from who she is as a central, I mean, her yeah. center. It got away. I mean, by then, it was back when, um, season four, what, what network were they um, Oh, um, they were on WB. They were but, back on the WB, yeah, right? Yeah. And they just wanted to sell toys at that mm-hmm. point. And I, I, mean, I disagree with that. It's I, super fucking weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's super weird. Um, that whole like that whole season is just weird. It looks great, but you have like some really messed up episodes. You do. With that but season. I, I I do think that the Catwoman got lost that season. But I also mm-hmm. I think that there's some. I still enjoy the episode a lot. The oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, cat. It's, I really do enjoy that episode. But it's I fun. But she is clearly a different Catwoman than. Yeah, in the, I think um, it just fundamentally um, deviates from who she is. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, all right. So, like, let's go from there then. And the true end of that week's panel discussion. I just wanted to um, add here at the end for you, as you may have noticed, some choppy editing or a moment I might not have cut out. Uh, we did have an extra panel to topic, which um, extra panel topic. Anyway, that we discussed in relation to porn in comics, specifically Catwoman comics. So we went on uh, about that for about over an hour, and I decided I wanted to actually take that out and edit that discussion to highlight some of the more interesting viewpoints. 
um, and then also not run this specific episode like for another hour um, anyway and basically stay tuned for that at the end of me posting all the rest of these episodes and it'll be like an extra episode to cap off um, this podcast and thanks for listening Thank you.